God, that really is our prayer. Lord, I know that me, Alan, is never enough. How can't be enough? Unless you do something spectacular. Because it is about you, it is for you, it's because of you that we are here, that we are able to do what we do. Lord, is our prayer here at Townsend Church that you be enough for us. That we don't worry about all the other stuff that we could worry about, and there's a lot to worry about. But may our focus be solely on you and how to please you, how to go after you. Let our hunger and our thirst be after your righteousness. Because that will be enough. And I pray that as we dive back into Matthew to see what you have in store for us again today through the way that you lived your life, Jesus. I pray that you would speak to us through your spirit. That we have readily invited here and asking that he just abide with us for the next few moments. But that when we leave this place, he does not leave us be, that he go with us. And allow us to be everything that you've created us to be. Because without you, we aren't enough. Thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Glad to see your bright, shining faces. Everybody glad to be in church this morning? Good. Glad you're tuning in at home. Tim forgot to welcome you, but I'm going to remember to welcome you. I'm glad you're tuning in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. By the way, it is Pastor Appreciation Month, and thank you for our balloons. We greatly appreciate them, and I am not uh, dishonoring these balloons, but I'm going to hide them just for a little while so you guys can see the screens. There. But we do appreciate balloons. I like balloons. Matthew chapter 21. Very interesting passage. It's a little bit different. Um, We're going to be looking at the story of the fig tree. It's kind of a random thing, and when you read through it and you see it, you're like, why is that even in there? What is the point of a fig tree that didn't have any figs, and Jesus curses it, it dies, and then we move on? But believe it or not, there's a lot to it. There's actually more to it than just the fact that it didn't have any figs, and he curses it, and it dies, and the disciples wonder about it. There's so much more to it that we want to share that with you today, because the reality is looks can be deceiving, right? How many of you bought a house, or bought a car, or met somebody and talked to somebody when the looks were one way, but then when you got into the car, or you drove the car, or you got into the house, or you started speaking with that person, you realized, nope. Right? We've all done that. Sally has struggled with that for years with me. She married me and she's like, man, the looks were deceiving. Oh, Charlie, I just got another couple for you for premarital or uh, postmarital counseling. <laughs> looks are deceiving in anything that we do. I remember uh, playing sports, watching the other team warm up or even playing. And you always, as an athlete, you pick out who you think is going to be the guy, Right? Or the girl. You, you think, okay, that's the athlete we're going to have to watch for. And come to find out, a lot of times I was absolutely wrong. The guy walked the walk. He warmed up really well. But when he started playing, he didn't have a clue what he was doing. And looks can sometimes be deceiving. And isn't it true in our Christian walk that sometimes we've been around believers that look really Christian-y? And the more you talk to them and the more you're around them and the more you hang out with them, you realize real quick, man, it's really shallow. The looks are very deceiving. They aren't what I saw. Let it not be named of our church. May the look of our church, may the look of our programs, may the look of the way that we do things be emblematic of Christ every single time that when people see us, they see what we preach being lived out. But not just about our church. It's really about the individual believer. And just because I'm a pastor, I still have a responsibility to live out what I preach. That if I'm not living that out, then the looks that people see will be very deceiving and lead them in a wrong path. You, as an individual believer, as a follower of God, as a worker at your workplace, or a shopper at Walmart, or a neighbor to your neighbors, you have a responsibility to make sure that what people see really is who you are. 
Because we all know that looks can be absolutely deceiving. And that's what we're going to see today. So my main thought for you today is super easy. You ready? Looks can be deceiving. In case you didn't know it. Right? We all understand that concept. I mean, the eagles look really good. But looks are so deceiving. Sorry about that. But not really, because it really is sad to me. So let's get to Matthew chapter 20. Well, let's dive right in, because I, I love just getting to the Word, because that, this is where it's at. This is where it's at. It is the living, breathing Word of God that speaks to us. We are watching Jesus, who was the Word of God in human form, be on the earth to live this life out to show us how we are to do it. And so let's see what's happening. Now, let me remind you where we left about a month ago. Jesus has gone into the temple, remember, and cleansed it. He cleaned it out because they were selling the wrong things and doing the wrong things. They turned it into what it should not be. Again, looks were deceiving. It looked like the temple, but what they were doing inside the temple was not temple work. And now we find Jesus out and about walking around. Now, in the book of Mark, it has it a little bit different. It has him coming upon this fig tree before he goes into the temple, and then them visiting the fig tree after they come out of the temple. Matthew does it a little bit different. Now, let me just say this before we read it. That doesn't mean that there's um, contradictories in Scripture. It just means that the perspective of Matthew was this way, and the perspective of Mark was this way, and the point being, Jesus saw a fig tree and he cursed it. Let's not get caught up in the order. Okay? So, Matthew chapter 21, in verse 18, again, Jesus is walking around. It says, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. It's breakfast time. Jesus was human. He's got to eat. Now, we found it pretty intriguing and kind of weird that, why are they stating that? We know he's got to eat. Never tells us he goes to the bathroom, but we know he did. But for whatever reason, this is the one time that we find that it states clearly that Jesus was hungry. But it does help us in knowing why. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. Now in the Gospel of Mark, he does that in the morning before he goes into the temple. He curses it when he comes out, then they find it that it's dead. But in this instance, Matthew just says, you know what, that thing just shriveled right up. And in verse 20, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? Now, whether it was immediately right in the moment or throughout the day and they came back later in the evening and saw that it withered away, the point is Jesus cursed this tree, it dried up and died, and the disciples are curious, how did that happen so fast? Jesus answers and says to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, I want you to read back over that little answer that Jesus gave them and tell me, did he even remotely come close to answering their question? No. They asked, how did the fig tree dry up so fast? He says, hey, you can do cool stuff like that. In fact, you can do bigger things like that if you just pray and have faith. That's kind of what I love about Jesus. One of the many things is that he never answers the question that's asked, but answers the question that wasn't asked and needed to be answered. These disciples didn't care about the tree and why it withered so fast. They were curious as to how it happened. And Jesus says, you can do this. You can do these impossible feats, these impossible tasks, if you just trust and have faith and pray about it. That's just interesting to me. He doesn't care about the details. It's not about that. He wants the deeper heart of the root of the issue and what's going on. Now, what's interesting about this tree is it was by the roadside. Most likely all by itself, producing fruit or not producing fruit. Do you ever feel like you're kind of on an island as a believer? Do you ever feel like you're just kind of all alone? 
Maybe your coworkers don't get you. Maybe your neighbors don't understand you. Maybe your own spouse might be in a different spot right now than you, spiritually. But there's a lot of times where we feel like, notice I'm saying feel like, that we're all alone in all of this. And you might be. And that's okay. Because people are still watching, people are still looking. And people still want to experience the fruit of the Spirit that may be produced through you to cause them to come to Christ. And so there's lots of things in this story that we need to look at. So let's start peeling it apart. Here's the first thing. When we talk about the fig tree, it's not really about the fig tree. This fig tree really represents something bigger, something larger, as Jesus always does. And this fig tree, in a big way, is a throwback. It's a reminder about the children of Israel. The children of Israel were God's chosen people. He created them out of nothing. And he's walking with them and meeting their needs. And he just loves them. Even when they're not lovable, he's still working with them. And they have the look of a righteous nation. But a lot of times their works were not emblematic of that at all. And so he's working with them. He's trying to help them. But he wants them to be all that he has created them to be. And so this fig tree in this story, helps us understand what he's really talking about. Now, let me ask you, do you remember again, where is he heading to? The temple, where the children of Israel, the Jews, worship God. And he's on the way to cleanse it, because what the works that they are doing are not the right works. And he's come by this fig tree, and he's noticed that this fig tree, which should have fruit on it, does not, and he curses it because they are not showing the works that they should show. Hosea, in Hosea chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, if you were to go back and read that, the prophet Hosea is telling uh, the children of Israel and saying through the words of God that, listen, you, this is a problem. Here's what's going to happen. And he attacks the root. And the root that brings them to death is the lack of obedience. And in that passage, he talks about the lack of obedience and all of these things. And he says, the root of who you are will pass away. It will die. And you know what's interesting about that for me? If I put on a good show as a believer, but the root that is within me is not obedient. It is not um, Bringing about the fruit of the spirit, the spirit, of the spirit, it will rot and it will die. Jesus goes into the temple because he's concerned. Because the works that they are working is not what they were supposed to be working. And so he goes in to cleanse it and he kind of gives a prequel, a little... uh, shot across the bow to the disciples of saying, hey, here's what we're getting ready to go do. I'm going to curse this tree. You don't really understand why we're doing it now, but you will someday. The cleansing of the temple is emblematic of a bigger goal. It shows us that there's something bigger going on here. It's not about the fact that they were selling stuff. That's part of the problem. But they had turned religion into something that it should not have been. They had turned the service to God into something that it just should not have been at all. And folks, we can be in danger of that in a church like this if we are not careful to stay in tune with the Spirit of God. When we sing songs like, hey, we want you to be here with us, Spirit. Abide with us. Come here and just meet with us today. The reason that I sing that is because I know that I am definitely not enough and I need him to help me and to empower me to do the things that I can't do. But when I get heady, when I get into my own headspace and I think I am enough, I will do what he's already called me to do and I'll just check in when I need to, that is when the works do not reflect the root that is supposedly within me and that root that is been planted by God, will begin to die because I am starving it. And so Jesus is showing the disciples, like, this is a problem. This is important. And he's not only talking to the disciples at this point, this is for us as well. Another thing about the fig tree, it was there for all to see. It's on the side of the road. Now, it's not on private property, It's not in a grove, it's on the side of the road, which means anybody that's passing by 
could pick fruit off and eat it. That was a normal thing to be done. Now, I don't know if y'all are, are big fig people. The, the closest I've ever come to a fig is Fig Newton, and I know that's not even really close. But they, they just look gross to me. I would, I would really have to be hungry to eat one. But Jesus was hungry. He was a human being walking on the side of the road in the morning, and he sees a fig tree, and because he's hungry, he's like, I'll go get some figs. And that's what people would normally do. Because it's there. But notice these verses. Both of these verses, or this verse for sure, comes out of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that Sermon on the Mount two years ago that we went through? Look what it says. Therefore, by the fruits, or their fruits, you will know them. Jesus knew that this was a fig tree based on its leaves. The leaves and the tree structure gave it away that this was a fig tree. Now, if figs had been on there, obviously he would have known even more so that it was a fig tree. But he knew it was a fig tree. Do people know that you're a believer? Not because you got figs. Not because you grow apples. But because you grow love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit. That's the fruit we should be bearing all the time. That is the, are the things that when people look at you, when they look at me and knowing that I can be a hothead, and they see, okay, he's exercising self-control, or he's being patient in this instant, they will know real quick, well, that's obviously not Alan. That's something bigger than Alan, helping him be what he's supposed to be. Because I don't want my looks to be deceiving I want people to know that, yes, he is a follower of God. He is someone who is allowing the Spirit of God to move through him and guide him in all things. And that's not just about me. That's about you as well. You, if you claim that the Spirit of God lives within you, then the fruit must show. Or else your looks are deceiving. Another verse, same sermon in Matthew 5, 16. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The reason that we want these, the, the fruit to be exposed is we want people to see that God has changed us. When we are able to do things that we wouldn't normally do, but because of the spirit that lives within us, empowers us to accomplish these things, because through him we can be enough to do what he's called us to do, Do you know what we get to do after that? We get to pat ourselves on the back. We get to have balloons. No. We get to point it all back and say, it's not about me. It is God who has done this. It is the spirit that lives within me from him that allows me to be this type of person. That allows my looks to match what's going on truly inside of me. Now here's what's interesting. As we studied the fig tree... There's about two months where nothing's really growing on it. But when the leaves are there, it insinuates that there's fruit ready. So when Jesus saw this fig tree and he saw the leaves first, it was natural for him. Not because he's God in the flesh. It was just a natural human instinct and and um, an action to say, leaves are there, figs are there. So it's natural for us when we see an apple tree with the blossoms and the leaves, we just automatically assume that apples are soon to follow. Or it's just natural for us when we hear, well, they go to church, it's natural for us to expect certain things. It's natural for us and the entire world that when they hear you are a Christ follower for them to expect certain things. And when those things that they are expecting aren't showing up, then the looks that they had are being deceived. I'm just not interested in that. I want to be who I'm supposed to be all the time. I want my looks to not necessarily be deceiving Let me rephrase that. I want my looks to never be deceiving. I want them to be authentic and real. The leaves insinuate that the presence of figs were there, but there were none. Could you imagine 
Now, again, it's so hard for us because we know that he's Jesus. Jesus already knew the figs weren't on there. But he still walks over and says, oh, look, there's no figs. And maybe in that moment of humanity, there was real disappointment. He wanted the figs. He was hungry. And he walks over and is like, oh, man. Could you imagine your coworkers who know that you go to church, who know that you claim Christ as your Lord, come to you with some questions that are really easily to answer and you can't answer them? Or ask for your help in certain scenarios and you're not able to help. Is that not disturbing to you? Is that not sad to your soul? For me, it should be. When Jesus walked over to the tree, wanting something from it, needing something, humanly speaking, from it, and he couldn't get it. We cannot be followers of Christ like that. Do you need to know all the answers? No. But you need to know the faith that resides within you. You need to know about the spirit of God that moves within you. You need to be able to say, here's why I do what I do. I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. But here's why I am the way that I am. Because. In 2 Timothy 3.5, Paul is writing to Timothy talking about the very people that Jesus is dealing with in this tree. He says, but they were uh, having a form of godliness but denying its power... From such people turn away. It bothers me when people think that about our church. They play a really good service. They have really good programs. But man, they're just, you can't really talk to them. They're not very happy. They're not very joyful. They're not very patient. They're just kind of rude. Remove the church out of that, that shouldn't be named among us at all. If we're going to play the part and put on the suit and look like we've got it all together, you better have it all together. You better know whom you have believed in and be persuaded 100% that he who has started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on that day. This is a work in progress We're not expecting perfection, but what Christ is expecting, what we are asking, is for at least for there to be some fruit for your co-workers, for your neighbors, for your family members who aren't believers, when they are hungry, can come pluck something off. And you know what? You might be alone in all of this. You might be that lone tree standing alone. Nobody else is there to help you, but that should not deter you. Because the Spirit of God, the very root system that has kept you in the ground and is feeding you, is the only thing that you need. We should be a tree exemplifying growth, allowing people to experience the fruit of the Spirit, even if standing alone. I'm not a big alone guy. Now, I enjoy sitting on my deck watching TV in the quiet of that. But I, don't, I enjoy knowing that my family's in the house. <laughs> I don't like being alone. In fact, Charlie and I were talking about, um, he's asking me if I went hunting Friday morning because it was a good day to go hunting. I'm more of a social hunter. I don't like going out by myself. <laughs> That's what I was explaining to him. I'm like, I like the, the interaction going to the stand. I don't mind sitting in the stand by myself. He's 250, 300 yards away from me. But I know that when I get out of the stand, I'm going to catch back up with him. That's comforting to me. But sometimes... As a believer, I do feel alone. I do feel by myself, isolated. But even in those moments that I feel alone or isolated, there is a warmth and a comfort that comes over me because I know that my God will not leave me nor forsake me. He is always with me wherever I will go as long as I am following after him. So you might be alone. It might feel like you're alone, but please don't forget, if you would just simply look around this room, you've got over 200 people that are standing with you. 
They may be a little further down the road on one side or the other, but they're still standing with you in the same spirit that you're standing in, producing hopefully the same fruit that we can offer anybody that comes our way. That's just one of the first things that we got out of this text. Here's the second thing. Jesus encourages his disciples through an extreme lesson by redirecting their attention. The disciples are so precious and they are just like us. We think that the issue at hand is about what we see the issue to be. And Jesus always addresses the issue that's really deeper. He encourages his disciples through this redirection. Look at their question. They marveled at the fact that this tree had just dried up and died. Whether it happened right in that moment, which would have been phenomenal just to watch it wither away in the moment. Or maybe it was in the evening. The reality is it doesn't matter when it withered up because the fact is it withered up. It just shriveled up and died and the disciples are like, what is going on? How did you do that? How did you make this happen? Why did it wither away so fast? Reasonable question, but very surface level. Very surfacey. Jesus says, listen, I'm going to tell you something. If you have faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you'll be able to take this mountain basically the mountain that they most likely were standing on or looking at, and you can cast it into the sea. Is that reasonable? Let's be honest and real. I'm not challenging your faith. I'm not challenging whether you trust God or not. I'm just asking you, as a human, is it reasonable for us to say, I'm going to look at that mountain out there, and I'm going to say, I have enough faith. I'm not going to doubt. I'm going to cast it into the sea. Does that make sense to us? Let's be honest and real. No, it does not. And in fact, if I were able to do that, if I had enough faith and I didn't doubt, which I know my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think, and I trust him that much, I believe he could do that. But I don't think that's the point of this text. We have to be careful how we use certain phrases in texts like these to build our own case of the name it and claim it type stuff. That's not what this is talking about. What he's getting at is... Maybe the problem that you are facing is insurmountable, so big, it's a massive mountain that you can't get past. But if you will attack it with faith, and trust me, without doubting, you will be able to tackle that problem. The problem with the fig tree is it didn't have any fruit. Okay, you're done. Jesus had enough faith to kill it. It wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. It was a a God-centered problem that we couldn't do. I couldn't do that on my own, but Jesus could. And so when we see this passage and he says, if you just have enough faith, if you don't doubt, you'll be able to cast this mountain into the sea. Now, please do not misunderstand what I am saying. I am not refuting scripture I'm not doubting what Jesus says. All I'm saying is sometimes the plain text really insinuates something else. We can do seemingly impossible things if we have faith and don't doubt. If we don't have faith. Excuse me, yeah, if we have faith. Can't do anything if you don't have faith. If, if. If we have faith, wait a second, I thought I had to have faith to be saved. Yeah, so I have faith, yes. But what does that really mean to you? Is it just fire insurance for you to know that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? Or is faith more? Is it able to move mountains? Is that really what he's talking about here? Or is he talking about the big problems that come into your life that seem like really big mountains? Now again, God is able to do whatever he chooses to do. And if he wants to chuck a mountain in the sea, that's fine. But it's really going to upset the world and be a little weird. Seriously. Could you imagine? Our church would grow by leaps and bounds if I was the pastor that chucked a mountain into the sea. (laughs) But they won't be coming for the truth of the gospel. They'll be coming for the signs and the wonders. And so the signs and the wonders aren't what they need to be because the looks can be deceiving. 
And so when we're talking about this, we're not talking about moving literal mountains. We're talking about moving mountains within us. It's bigger than us. And you know what's interesting about this for me? It's, it's a deeper vision that Jesus is looking at here. It's about discernment. It's about being able to look at a problem and say, I can't do this. Is this really about this? This issue that I just faced yesterday is not about the issue that I faced yesterday. It's actually an underlying current of something that I can't see and deal with. And so I'm going to rely on the Spirit of God to help me discern what it is that's going on within me or what I'm working with outside of me. And that is how I'm going to be able to move this mountain. But it's intriguing to me that he says, if you have faith and do not doubt. So the question that I ask is, you have faith, but do you really, really trust God without doubting? How many of us, without raising your hands, at some point in your Christian walk has doubted your salvation? Wait, you told me you have faith. And faith is believing and trusting without doubting. But you're human. And things get hard, and you feel isolated and alone, and it feels like God's not around. It feels like God's not doing what he promised us to do or what we expected him to do. And maybe, just maybe, he really is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Maybe our vision got off-centered. Maybe our discernment isn't where it needed to be. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 6 is talking about wisdom, but I want you to notice how James deals with how we ask for wisdom. And I attribute, I, I kind of take that concept and I put it with everything else of when we ask God for things. And we have to be careful with that, and we're going to clear this up in just a little bit. But it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives uh, to all liberally and without reproach. Meaning if you need wisdom, ask for it, he's going to give it. He wants you to be smart and wise in this thing. And it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. Really, really trusting God. Asking, I need to know about this situation. I need to know based on what you want me to know, not based on how I want it to be. Asking for wisdom is not saying, God, let it be this way. Amen? Asking for wisdom is, God, I really would like it to be this way. But I need it to be your will, not mine. And so I need you to give me wisdom and discernment to know what is best. The problem with Christians not asking that is that they don't really want what is best. They want what they want. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. When we seek God out with doubts you're probably going to miss the mark. You're going to miss and be swept away somewhere else. So he says, ask through prayer while believing in faith and you will receive. Now this is what Jesus said. So he says, if you have faith without doubting, then you can cast this mountain into the sea. If you will just simply ask in faith and believe, then you can get what you're asking for. Now, That is a cherry-picked verse, if I've ever seen one, to rationalize and legitimize the name it and claim it gospel. Well, if you believe it and you want it, you just ask for it and God will give it to you. I can't tell you how many people have died from family members praying, God, heal them. And man, their faith was strong and they believed with all their heart. And yet God did not allow their prayer to be answered the way that they wanted it to be answered. I've watched people pray for jobs or pray for cars or pray for other things. But they've prayed out of their own will and not the will of God. Wanting what they want because of a verse like this that says, If you just believe it and have faith and pray and you'll get it. It's not what he's talking about here. So what is he talking about? How do we know that When we pray, God's going to answer us the way that he should. Well, there's a lot of things that I would like to pray for. That's my personal list. I'm sure you have a list like that, that we kind of pepper in every now and again when we're praying, hoping it'll slide right through and God will say, stamp of approval, you get everything that you just asked for, right? 
God's way too smart and too keen on that. I'd love a Tacoma someday. I'd love to have a hole-in-one. I've been playing golf a long time. I've gotten this close. And that's really close. I've never really prayed for the lottery. I just put that on there because I know some of y'all have. Tim. <clears throat> oh, she's out there. <laughs> She'll duck her head in a minute. We prayed for a gymnasium. Man, I'd love to have a gym. I, I, I say I need one. We really could use one. Pray for a healthy church. I love the health of our church. But we could always be healthier. I pray that my right leg would work. Many of you don't know that my right leg is just kind of dead. I stand on a peg most of the time. I would love for it to work. I'd love to be able to kick a soccer ball again. I'd love to be able to run again. I would love, and I pray in faith all the time because I know my God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I ever ask or think. I quote that all the time because it's such a near and dear verse to my heart. But there are times where I'm praying that I have to pray, God, you need to do what you need to do and help me to trust that. Here's what I want, but I want your will. And I'm going to pray in faith, and I know you're able to do it. I've read about the stories of healings, and I watch you heal everybody else. Why won't you heal me? Is, do I not have enough faith? Am I doubting? Does it seem too insurmountable of a mountain for you to do it? No. It's just his will. It's for me to bear the burden of it the rest of my life, to figure it out. Maybe it's a gentle reminder of saying, you're not as awesome as you think you are. You got a bum leg. Keeps me in the right spot. It keeps me with a, a humbled mentality of I need him. Not just to preach and to leave the church, but sometimes just to walk out of here without falling flat on my face. What's your list like? What are you angry with God this morning because he hasn't answered your prayer quite yet? Could it be maybe that your discernment and your wisdom of the way that you're praying is off? Could it be maybe that your fig tree is not as strong as it may seem to be? Maybe your root isn't as deep as it should be. So how? How do we pray believing without doubting? Because that is so hard for us. How do we do that? Well, we pray and we do it through the teachings that have already been given. Let me give you a few before we close. In Romans chapter 12, popular verses. But it's pertinent to what we've got going on. I want you to see it. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let me tell you what that means. Let me help you understand what that means. That means if you're going to present your body a living sacrifice to God, your body is no longer yours. You don't get to do to it what you want to do. You don't get to experience things because it brings pleasure to your body. Because your body is a living sacrifice that you have granted to God. Holy, you have submitted it to him. Acceptable. It's your reasonable service. I love that phrase. It's reasonable. When you recognize what God has done for you, that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, that you don't have to die and spend eternity in hell, that he gives you a gift of eternal life, it's reasonable for us to say, All I have right here is all yours. It's reasonable. And then watch what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. Do not pray as the heathens do, as the publican does. Pray the way Jesus prayed. Change your mindset of how to ask for things. Change your mindset of how God is supposed to do things for you. Change your mindset to the idea of your will be done. Not mine. Be 
transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's our reasonable service. For us to be living examples of what God can do in a submitted life to him. Here's another passage. Psalm 37, 4. This is one that we love to cherry pick too. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love everything about him. And then he shall give you the desires of your heart. Well, obviously I don't love God enough because I don't have my hole in one yet and I don't have a Toyota Tacoma. So we, it, that's funny to some degree, but you can't play the game of, well, I love God, so he should give me everything. But then say, well, no, I, I really do love him, so maybe he's just not listening. That's, that's, that verse does not go along with the idea of, I just love him enough, he'll give me whatever I want. The reality is, when it says, if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, it means that I'm digging into his scripture, I'm Rechanging my thinking process, I'm transforming my life to be more like Him. Therefore, if I am learning more about Him, my heart is changing, my mind is changing to where the things that I delight in are the things that He delights in. And if I'm delighting in the things that He delights in, then my heart is full of the things that He wants. So when I pray, Your will be done. Yeah, there's a lot of things I want and like, but Your will be done because my heart agrees with it. Then He will give me the desires of my heart because the desires of my heart are for Him. So when He says to the disciples, If you just pray and believe, you can do these things. He's talking about if you will pray in faith and in trust of the will of God, you will be able to do amazing things. Here's another one, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9b through 10, Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Notice it does not say our kingdom, my kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my will, not what I want. In fact, nowhere in that prayer does it even really talk about me and what I want, except when it comes to forgive me my trespasses. He says, I forgive those who trespass against me. And then he even talks about, in the prayer, give me what I need. Meet my needs. And maybe, just maybe, in the American culture that we live in, we need to redefine some words. There's a lot of redefining going on. Why can't we? And need and want are distinctly two different things that are contrary to each other. Last passage is this. Philippians 2, 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you. Romans 12. Change your mindset. Change your thinking. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Say it with me. Christ Jesus. Mm. Not Alan's mindset. Not Jim's mindset. Not Sally's mindset. Let this mindset be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, we all recognize that, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now here's why this passage is so important when we pray. Jesus, God in the flesh, saw it important to say, not my will, Father, but your will, and I will go even to the cross. That is what praying in faith looks like. That is how we get over those insurmountable mountains. The mountain that Christ faced of going to Pilate and then being beat and scourged and then having to walk up that lonely hill carrying his cross while he's being spit on and jeered by people to be nailed to that thing and put up in front of everybody buck naked so everybody could laugh at him. You talk about a mountain. The thing you're facing, that's a molehill. But Jesus met that in faith 
and in confidence in his father, knowing that it was God who was sending him there, and he trusted his father in it. Folks, there are things that you may be facing right now that it may feel like God is not on your side, but he may be allowing it because there's a lesson or something that you need to learn or experience, or maybe it has nothing even to do with you, but the person watching that's walking alongside that road as you are planted as a little fig tree trying to make it the best that you can, they may need to see what God is doing in you. It is so vital for us to make sure that we are growing the proper fruit that represent Christ fully. And how do we do that? Through prayer. Through prayer. Is this possible? Can we really do this? Yeah, you can. Through spiritual inspection and personal accountability. I love my group that I get to meet with every week because there is an accountability there that is just refreshing. It's tough sometimes, but it's very refreshing. But there are times where I need to get alone and have personal, spiritual introspection of what's going on. A conversation between me and God. Because as great as my coworkers and my friends are, they can't see all the way in like Christ can. And me standing alone is healthy sometimes for my roots to be examined properly. So where do you go? Where do you go? This is kind of the personal inspection of where do I go? What places do I visit? Do the places that I visit foster growth of the roots of my fig tree? Or are they deceiving of who I say I am? Who do you associate with? I mean, you're thinking, does that mean I got to get rid of all my friends? Such a great question that always gets asked. Listen, if your friends are not fostering and encouraging true spiritual growth, then here's what I would say to you. I would cautiously warn you to pray strongly about what level of friendship you need to have with them. In no way would I ever tell you to cut off all ties, because you might be the only fig tree they ever see. But what I would say is, I'd be careful where I plant my fig tree. I'd be careful as to who I allow into my life and to have a real big say in my life. Who do you associate with? Is who you associate with conducive for showing that you have true fruit for Christ? Is that all-time great phrase of guilty by association? People will know you by who you hang out with. This is a big one. I don't like this one. What are you okay with contrary to what is right? What are you, in the moment of getting into something, in the back of your mind, the red flags and the whistles are going off saying, don't do it. But because nobody's around or it's not that big a deal to you, you dive in. I know last week it seemed like I was telling you that as long as your conscience is clear, you can do whatever you want. But if you listen to the sermon at all, it's very clear that I'm saying your conscience better be controlled by the Spirit of God and the truths that are in the Word. It's that whole desires of your heart thing. What are you okay with that's contrary to Scripture? Because those things that you're okay with contrary to Scripture do not help you produce the fruit that you need to produce. Those are the looks that will be deceiving. Does your spiritual growth match what people see? Does your spiritual growth match what people see? These are great questions to think about. Why? Because looks are always deceiving. Listen, I, I don't want to be a church that has a full parking lot and people drive by and say, oh man, something's good going on there. And then when they interact with us out in the community and they're seeing things that probably aren't very biblical or church-like and then they find out that they come to church here. That, that's not okay with me. I'm not saying that that's happening. I don't think it's happening at all. But the potential is always there. 
We should always be progressing and moving forward and doing all that we can to make sure that we are exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. As the praise team comes, here's some questions for you. Number one, are, you fi- are, are people finding a fruit-filled life or a barren tree? People that you associate with, your coworkers, your neighbors, even your spouses, your kids, what are they experiencing at home, at work, in the neighborhood, at shopping? Are they experiencing a fruit-filled tree or a barren one? Here's the second one. Does your life promote the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm not saying you got to have all those because they, they come in waves and you got to work on things. I'm working on a few that's coming to mind right now still. Number three, do you allow the Spirit to inspect your life? Do you have accountability? Are you taking the time to spend time in the Word and in prayer with God, allowing His Spirit to uncover those things that you need to work on? And do you have personal accountability? Do you have people who will lovingly come alongside you and say, hey, I noticed this about you? It's not fun. It's not always enjoyable. But the growth that comes from it is so beneficial. It's so beneficial. And then lastly, are you praying in line with his will or yours? How's your prayer life? Are you praying for what you want? Or are you praying for what he wants? Let me pray for you this morning. God, I appreciate all that you do. You're so good. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the depth of this simple story of you taking out a fig tree. And yet there's so much there. Lord, may we be the tree we were planted to be, full of the fruit of the Spirit that will point people to you. And yet, Lord, you know the world that we live in. You are watching it. You see it. And you know the struggles that we have, how we are pulled in all directions. But Lord, now is the time more than ever to be a solidly planted tree on the side of the road as people are walking by that they may see you do great things in us, around us, through us. But Lord, we pray for so many things and so many times they don't come to fruition. We, we ask, but we're kind of asking amiss. We're, we're, we're praying in the wrong frame of mind. And Lord, I pray that you would convict our own hearts, all of us, on those moments where we're praying to you that we're praying out of our flesh and what we want rather than your will be done. Lord, help us never to shy away asking for what we want, but help us to always remember that it is about you and what you want. Help us to be careful to not allow our will to overshadow your will. For those that are being moved by the Spirit this morning, Father, I pray that you would move them to a point of decision, whether it's salvation, whether it's recommittal, whether it's, hey, I I need to work on this. Lord, help them to surrender to you. May you be glorified and honored in all things because you are so worth it. We thank you. We love you.